You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Forefront. Today we have a sermon panel. Um, so I'll be joined with Mackenzie and Jonathan, and they'll introduce themselves in a little, in a little bit. Um, we're going through the Sermon of the Mount, so it's kind of Jesus's magnum opus in which we're kind of taking um, a look at some of the kind of subversive, heretical elements of kind of tried and true popular passages such as the one we're going to read today. Mackenzie, do you want to um, introduce yourself and Jonathan as well? Sure. Uh, my name is Mackenzie, or Mac, pronouns she, her, hers, and I am the producer on the Executive Council. And I am Jonathan Williams, and I'm the teaching pastor at Forefront. My pronouns are he, him, and his. I realized I forgot to introduce myself, so I'm going to do that as well. I'm the community director here at Forefront. Uh, All pronouns are okay with me. Because of the interactive nature of this panel, we would love to interact with you as well. So as we kind of do this little Bible study and talk about our lives, interpretation, drop a comment, drop a question. um, um, Yeah, that would be great to just have more interaction. Um, our verse today is Matthew 7, 13 to 14. Mackenzie's um, going to read it out for us. So this is the narrow and wide gates. Enter through the narrow gate for the wide, for the wide. Wow. Let's try that again. Enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few will find it. Jonathan, how did you interpret this passage when you were younger? Oh, so poorly, as many (laughs) of us have, I believe. Um, Yeah, I think, number one, I think we think of the wide and narrow gates as the way to heaven. And so in thinking about the wide and narrow gates as the way to heaven, uh, we're not necessarily thinking about the journey. We're thinking about the destination. So we're thinking a bit about... um, what is it that will get us into heaven? What's the, the road I have to take? And so what we start to think about is orthodoxy. So what is orthodoxy? Orthodoxy is the right theology. It's having the right doctrine. It's making sure you live out the best religious practices, right? And so for me, um, what did that look like? Well, it was like, okay, am I reading my Bible enough? Um, oh, no, I haven't read my Bible in a week. I'm going to be in trouble. Uh, am I praying the right way? And I think so many of us have issues around prayer because we think prayer is this way that we're going to get to heaven or I don't know. And, and so, you know, we, we freak out about prayer. We get anxious about it because it's part of this narrow road. You know, am I, am I believing the right things? Am I making sure that I'm not making out with people in high school, not drinking in the woods, not listening to bad music, right? Like those are the things when I was younger, I used to think about. And so when you put that together, this orthodoxy, do I have the right practices? Do I have the right beliefs? Do I have the right actions? It becomes this pretty long checklist. (laughs) It's like a list of like, okay, can I check all these things off? Because if I can, I'm taking the narrow road and the narrow road is going to lead me to heaven. And if I can't, well, then I'm over there having sex and listening to awful music and drinking in the woods with all those heathens. And that's the wide road. And that's the way that I always interpreted it. And so for me, especially when I was younger, I guess I still am now somewhat rebellious, but regardless, I was pretty rebellious. And so, you know, I I was doing quote unquote, those wide road things. I wasn't following the right orthodoxy. I didn't have the right practices or the right beliefs. And so, yeah, I felt like I had to rededicate my life to Jesus. Like every other month at my church, I'd like go up for the altar call and be like, well, I didn't 
you know, I had to make the checklist again, which means I'm on the wide road and I got to rededicate my life to Jesus because I drank in the woods this past Saturday, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, and it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's disappointing. It's disappointing because I think this still is, this still is the way people interpret this, right? As the, the checklist of ways to get to heaven. And so, you know, when I look at this now, it, you know, it, it's uh, Jesus says right after this, he says, hey, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. And so right then and there, you see the orthodoxy of Jesus's time. That was the orthodoxy. Those were the right practices to publicly denounce evil and to publicly pray loudly and to cast out demons and to heal people. That, that was the, you were the good God-fearing person if you were able to do those things well, right? The, if you had the right orthodoxy. And basically what Jesus says is you can have the right orthodoxy and the right practice all day long. And when the time comes, I'm going to call you an evildoer. So, you know, even, even in just that small shift gives me some sense of relief, but I don't know for the two of you, does my story relate at all? (laughs) Mac, I mean, what do you think? Is is it a relatable thing? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I'm just laughing because when you were saying how you committed your life to Jesus multiple times, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been baptized so many times and (laughs) I'm looking at it now, now that I go to Forefront, now that we, you know, ask good questions and deconstruct and challenge things, I'm like, wow, I was totally just doing what I thought I should do instead of actually thinking about what I believe in. Um, So I totally relate to that. But now that I am looking at this passage as an adult, the simplest way that I can put it is live intentionally and with purpose. That's what I wrote down. Like that is how I read this verse this time. And sometimes analogies are helpful. I don't know. For me, they are at least. And so when I was thinking about this, like going with this road analogy, um, I've been on a lot of long road trips lately, trying not to, uh, you know, because of COVID and trying not to interact with anyone that's not in my pod. And I recently learned about cruise control. And cruise control is so great because you can go on autopilot, you know, it's a long road, everyone's going in the same direction, and you just can hit the button and not have to think about anything. But in those moments, it's so much easier to fall asleep at the wheel than when you're actually thinking about what you're doing and your hands are, you know, at the right spot and you're thinking about, you know, how fast you're going and all those things. You, you don't have to do that when you're in cruise control. But when the road is narrow or when things are harder, when I'm going down a path that few have gone down before, suddenly I have to be super intentional and I have to think about each and every turn with extra discernment and it's literally impossible to phone it in and in those moments yeah it brings up a lot of anxiety and it brings up a lot of fears and self-doubt and and all the rest but in my opinion it also brings something even more exciting to me which is fulfillment because when I'm going this narrow gate and I'm operating with intention I know that I took extra thought and care I'm coming out on the other side knowing more about myself and hopefully a little bit more about life. Um, So that's sort of where my brain started going when I was reading this. But I will say the message version of this passage really helped me grasp this idea that this verse isn't about salvation after all. 
Um, so I'll go ahead and read that for us. Uh, Eugene Peterson's translation from the message goes like this. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life to God is vigorous and requires total attention. So when I read that version, I don't know about you guys, but I felt super called out because growing up, as Jonathan, you were saying, I was always looking for the formula on how to be the perfect little Christian girl. But now I'm realizing that maybe it's more about the journey of living with thoughtfulness and intentionality that uh, it's more about that than like the end goal or getting there as fast as possible. I don't know. No, I, I mean, I, I'm with you. I like, the, I like that version because I think when Peterson says formula, it is that orthodoxy he's talking about, mm -hmm. right? It, it's yeah. the same thing. It's like the formula is the right practice, the right belief, the right way to do it. And, and you're like, no, it, that's not the case at all. But Sarah, like, I'm sure you have your own thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with everyone. If I would just add an additional nuance, when I was reading this passage, I was thinking about how as a society, we tend to be very like destination or end game centric um you know in business you're planning for like quarterly goals annually goals you're thinking of in your personal life you might be planning ahead and even in our theology we're like you know sometimes very end game centric how do we get to this outcome and when i started pondering this passage i started thinking about how um when you're walking through the narrow wide gate you might you don't necessarily see the destination all you see is the gate and the path and you're like hoping it gets to, you know, the good place. And Jesus is saying, part of how you know this will lead you to a good destination is by the fact that it is a narrow road, it is by the fact that it is a hard road. These are the clues that, that I'm giving you to say, this is, a, this is the path to life and this is the path to destruction, even though you can't see the destination yet. So I started thinking about this and how like in our spiritual lives and just in life in general, the process the fact that it is narrow the fact that it's hard is part it matters as much as the end goal because maybe what um maybe that narrowness of the hardness of the road is part of what enables life um i don't think you're going to chime in and say something yeah but you said something really interesting about the process and i think even today you know we talked about what this meant to us when we were young i think even today the popular translation of the narrow road is still destination focused it's still how do i get to heaven and so i just find it super interesting um that jesus is really not talking about destination at all so just i, I think you know when jesus is saying narrow road jesus is talking about what is the kingdom look like here? What does the journey look like here? So I love this idea about process. Sorry to interrupt you on that one, Sarah. No, I think it's really fine. It's a conversation after all. Um, but in, in, in particular, even if you look just at the pure facts of the word, as I didn't know the Greek thing, per se, but life is what is indicated here. And life is something that you can have here and now, not just, you know, at the end of your life or what have you. So we can read this as wisdom for how to live our lives here on earth. Um, even just from the pure meaning, literal meaning of the, of the passage without even having to get into the historical and cultural context stuff, which Jonathan already gave us. And so, you know, I, I just want to add maybe one more caveat, one caveat, which is that I don't want to overly romanticize hardship and suffering and say that suffering is always the better path. And, you know, we worship a suffering God, the suffering is great. Um, I think the point I want to make more is that sometimes, not always, the better path is the harder path. And that maybe what 
makes it in some ways a path enables transformation, a path enables life is because of, not in spite of the hardships. Um, and I think just to think about the passage right after, which is a passage about um, good and bad fruit and how you tell who's a false prophet, how the true, true prophet. And you think about sometimes it is a hard path, but you choose it because you know it will lead to good fruit. So I just want to add that particular caveat. Um, but we've been talking a little bit more abstractly. Maybe we can talk a bit more personally about how we're applying this to our lives. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to chime in here. And, it, and, you know, you speak of suffering and like suffering isn't the point, but often is part of it. And <laughs> I have. <laughs> amen. Amen. To that. Yes. <laughs> I certainly have a story <laughs> about suffering. Um, so <laughs> share your suffering stories. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I promise it relates. But for those of you that don't know, I went to college for musical theater. I got my BFA in musical theater and I was, um, super focused on dance in that program. And I actually broke my spine my junior year of college in the middle of a ballet class. <laughs> Talk about suffering. Um, and it was awful. And I think, you know, a lot of people, it, my the administration included, were telling me, maybe this is a sign that you should choose a different career path. Like maybe this is a sign that you, you know, your dance career is over and you can just, you know, go a different route, quit school, yada, yada. And I was like, I didn't even hesitate to say, absolutely not, I'm staying in school. Uh, even in Boston, in the middle of winter, in a back brace with a rolly backpack, the, you know, there's, there's the imagery for you. It was quite the nightmare. Um, <laughs> and kind of understandably, people thought I was crazy. <laughs> but I didn't quit. And it was very lonely because people didn't understand why I was choosing to go through that suffering and remain in school while I was in physical therapy and, and trying to heal my injury. Um, and in this scenario, I really think the wide gate would have been transferring to a normal college program. And uh, in the theater world, we, we call it, you know, go for a muggle job or, or whatever. Um, and I do think that would have been the wide gate and that would have been fine but for me, I knew that the narrow gate of finding my own way to continue pursuing what I really believe God called me to pursue, that was the way to go, even if it was lonely and even if it was really hard because the, the suffering would be temporary. And I knew that. Um, and so, you know, there's no way of knowing what the future would hold when you're in that moment. Like Sarah, you were saying, you don't know what the path is going to look like. You just maybe see like, one sign of like, this is, this is the next step, or this is the direction. That's really all I could see in the moment. But now that I've lived through that, and I'm an adult, and I've started my career and whatnot, it made those successes in my acting and dance career so much more rewarding, because I knew that I got there with intentionality. And I knew that it's something that I really, really cared about. And so I don't know, I think in some ways, I've taken the narrow gate in a lot of different areas of my life, acting and, and otherwise. And in those moments, I've every single time without fail, I get so frustrated with myself because I'm like, why am I making my life so much harder? Why, am I, why don't I just do what's easy or whatever? But at the end of the day, I know that I'm living with intention and I know that by taking the narrow gate, I'm doing something that I, that I care deeply about. I mean, yeah, the, I, the hard part is real. Even though Sarah said we're not romanticizing suffering, <laughs> you know, the, the truth is, like, the bottom line is it is easier to have boundaries. 
it's it's easier to have orthodoxy in your situation it's just easier to to leave and do something else right it's all binary and i think you know I, i remember this time you know about five six years ago when our church you know made that turn towards being progressive and somebody came to me and said, I'm, I'm leaving the church. And, and I said, okay, why? And they said, you know, there, there are no longer boundaries here. There are, there, you know, there's no longer, um, you know, a way for me to know if I'm in the right or if I'm in the wrong. Like you're, you're asking, you're asking us to, uh, to do too much and you're taking those boundaries away from us. And, and I thought about that and yeah, there's a sense in, w- in which that, you know, which that's true. They wanted a formula. <laughs> yeah, they wanted a formula, right? And so, so I think about God and I think, you know, at some point, that's probably a good God to believe in. You know, when we're, when we're young, maybe in our journey, it's nice to have a, a God that cares about boundaries. But like I always say, and I've said this so often, if you believe in the same God that you believed in 10 years ago, I don't know if we're being honest about our journey so much. In fact, like, this is going to sound kind of crazy. I think sometimes we need to... We need to kill some of our gods and have our gods evolve for us. Sometimes our gods need to die. That sounds so weird. I don't, I know. It's idol destruction, you know, kill yeah, it's, it, idols you made of God. Oh, well, I was going to get to that. It is destruction or deconstruction. That's what it is. And so, so what I think is oftentimes when we lose boundaries, uh, we don't even want to start that deconstruction process. We go, well, these boundaries don't make sense to me anymore. The orthodoxy doesn't make sense. I'm going to get rid of it and I'm just going to leave Christianity altogether. And I think the narrow road um, is super ironic because the narrow road says, yeah, when you're traveling the narrow road, there are limitless possibilities as to your journey. And there are limitless ways in which you can engage with God um, or unlimited, you know, unlimited ways. And so it's like the ultimate irony that the narrower the gate, the more unlimited your possibilities and journey with God become. And so, you know, that's something that I, you know, uh, I find joy in that. I find joy in that right now um, in this interpretation. I also love that we can just continually interpret scripture and have fun with it. Um, yeah, no, so I anyway. appreciate that too. And when, when you talk about the, you know, possibilities are limitless, that's where you have to operate with more intention. Oh, you know, that, much. that's yeah. where you have to bring in that discernment because suddenly you have to, <laughs> you have to think about it when there's a million options. Yes, you know, I agreed. And it goes back to uh, not only that, but but just trusting the process, as Sarah said earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, And Sarah, when you were talking about sort of that context of trusting that process, I mean, like, what's a more maybe kind of personal interpretation of of this passage for you? Yeah, um, I, you know, I was thinking about how to apply that to certain uh, practical areas of our lives. And I was thinking one area would probably be like how we cultivate our relationships, whether friendship, familial, romantic. I'll just give example in the romantic domain, just because it's something that I feel like there are a lot of cultural tropes around how to like have good relationships. You know, you have to send flowers on Valentine's, if you like a surprise gift once a year or any anniversary or something like that. Um, but yeah, I've been with, for, with, with Abby for about... Um, I guess seven years now, I feel very old. But, um, and one thing I've sort of learned over time is that that the formulaic ways of how to maintain a relationship, you know, big gifts, grand gestures, matter kind of a lot less than just my day-to-day habits and decisions. Um, the, the process, essentially, not just like the grand destinations. So I have like a little post-it uh, on my that I put on my desk. I just list like three things that I know I do habitually that really, really annoy Abby. Um, 
So one of them is that you have this really bad habit where I just have to optimize everything it retroactively. Um, so if I make a decision I like regret, I quickly go back and think about all the forks in the road that led me to making this bad decision and who I can blame along the forks in the road. And just be, unfortunately, Abby is, you know, with me most of the time. So I end up blaming her at some point. So it can just be something like, oh man, I shouldn't have ordered that dish. I should have remembered that restaurant is really good at tempura, but really bad at, you know, sushi or something like that. And then I'll just like, you should have reminded me. Why didn't you tell me? And, and Abby would be like, this is not my fault. I'm just gonna give you five minutes to calm down for your tantrum, like punch the couch. And then like, we can get back to like being adults. So um, that's something I think about a lot in terms of just like, you know, process mattering more than just kind of the formula, so to speak. Um, or maybe on a bit more serious note, although I guess that is serious. Well, also, when you think about politics or social justice, um, you know, these days it's kind of like listicles are very common, like, you know, five ways to be a better anti-racist ally or something like that. And people kind of just want the formula, you know, how, who would I donate to, who should I follow, what book should I read, what words should I stop saying, what words should I start saying. Now you can't say ally and I have to say accomplice and, you know, what happens. But um, I encourage us all to kind of take a more process-driven approach um, and think about not just what do I have to do, but, you know, what am I learning? How am I growing? How am I being challenged? What stories of familiar expectations are being up upturned? Um, who am I building relationships with? How am I failing and how am I getting better? Um, because I think it, ultimately it's a mindset shift from how do I do something for someone as an act of charity towards like how can I do something with someone because I understand, you know, that our liberations are tied together. That when I do and I engage in justice for a person who might not feel related to me at all, in some small way, it does impact me, it does also liberate me. Um, so, you know, just a quick shout out to our white anti-racism group, our Justice League. I'll, we'll drop the links to those groups in the comments. But those are great people to journey with on this, you know, narrow path, so to speak, towards justice and liberation. Yes, a lot of lot, a lot of dissent. Yeah, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm unpacking I'm unpacking some of that. Uh, yeah, process instead of formula in so many different ways, um, lived out in so many different ways, and it, it kind of brings us to our church, I guess, in some respects. Um, you know, as most of you know at this point, we've made a, a pretty big decision at the beginning of 2021, and that decision was to move from a a top down leadership model with me as lead pastor, and move into an executive council uh, where Sarah and Mac and myself, we share leadership responsibility and we have ton and ton of input and collaboration with Angela and, and Robbie as well as uh, you know, it's only because of logistics that they're not in our role. Um, and so we've created a bit of a flat model of leadership. Um, I don't know. I think, I think this passage makes a lot of sense when I think about the decisions we've made um, at least for me, um, and I guess I, I want to read another piece of scripture and it goes like this. It's Philippians two, seven. It says, uh, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And this is Paul speaking about Jesus, obviously. And there was something that struck me in, in terms of power, uh, that, that Jesus, you know, we believe that Jesus is the incarnation of God. So we're talking about infinite and unlimited power. And what is intentionally decided is that 
power means nothing. It, it all means nothing if it's not shared in relationship along a journey, if it's not given along the way. And so we see that in, this is all, always called the attitude of Jesus passage. So we see it in the attitude of Jesus, right? Jesus is like, yeah, I have the potential to be all powerful, but I'm way more interested in life looks way better and the journey looks way better when we're in relationship, sharing with one another uh, power, sharing privilege, sharing with each other needs, having needs met. Uh, so a lot of receiving and giving. And I think that struck me um, incredibly hard when I first read this a few months back when we were planning this series, because it made me recognize that, that if I'm going to continue in my faith, if, I'm, if my God is going to evolve, like I said before, then I almost feel like, like the way it evolved is by taking this narrow path and deciding to do it in relationship instead of being like the one in charge. Um, and I think so far there's been some real beauty there. I, I've really enjoyed being able, I've received so much from this church. I've received so much uh, just in my position and I'm, I'm finding joy in the opportunity to share that with others and share it, especially with you, uh, Sarah and Mac. But something I love too, that I've said over and over is I've said uh, to you know, our leaders and to our deacons, I've said, hey, Peter talks about the priesthood of all believers. Like we get to share this with each other. We're all part of this priesthood. Like we all get to usher in the next 500 years. It's not about one person. It's about all of us coming together on this journey and it's hard and we take one step at a time. We don't quite know exactly where we're headed, but we do know that this process is gonna be highly relational, highly fulfilling. And that's what I'm finding in this new executive council role. Um, and if I'm being honest, it's hard, right? Like it's way easier just to like make a quick decision and move on. And it's way easier to be like, Hey, can you do this for me? And then move on. And it's way easier not to ask our leadership team to hold us accountable or to hold me accountable as much as they're doing. But ultimately this narrow roadway is far more fulfilling. Um, and I think when we embody it, I think our church sees it. I think our church feels it. Um, and I think, Literally, and I say this often as our big audacious goal, I do think it ushers in the next 500 years. Um, and so that, that's kind of where I stand on an, our executive council decision. I know that the two of you have thoughts around this. So Sarah, like, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, it is interesting. Each of us have kind of different, but also related wide versus narrow roads when it comes to thinking about um, what it means to step into role at staff, step into executive council, for me, you know, as someone who most of my life, I've been used to being the person advising the person at the top. Started with my dad. He was a church planter, a minister. I would email him like, here's how your sermon could be better. Um, got along great. Um, you know, at, outside of Forefront, I work as a freelance ghostwriter and I'm advising, you know, pretty senior business people on how to speak, how to talk. And I think it's a, a familiar position, I would say, for a lot of women or people of color to kind of be... Uh, trusted enough for advice, but perhaps not with responsibility. Um, but with Forefront, it, the scenario turned out differently. Um, you know, Jonathan and I have been talking about coming on staff in various forms over the past few years. And I, I was always resistant, actually, because um, I felt comfortable being that person who would email Jonathan about how his sermon lacked balance and, and it was too... Uh, to equality oriented as opposed to equity oriented and why is the church doing more on justice stuff instead of just talking about justice so about, many of those emails Sarah <laughs> so emails. many of them I would just like type on my phone on my phone when it's subway um, but you know it was good times um, and when Jonathan was like why didn't you come on stuff I think part of me was like 
oh God, like I'm going to have to receive these emails <laughs> or, you know, the things that I, now it would be on me to kind of do the things that I have always said that I want forefront and do. Um, just because, you know, I've been in church for about five years now. And I think part of the, the vulnerability and fear was in becoming, you know, part, part of the establishment to go from like critiquing the man to being part of the man, so to speak. Um, and taking responsibility. And I, I don't want to say that, you know, just because we're the Oren staff, the executive council, we're the only ones who are responsible for the church. I hope we are a collective church that takes collective ownership and responsibility, whether you're a volunteer or on staff. But I do, th- you know, there is, a, there is a distinction and I did have to grapple with what does it mean to have formal power and formal um, authority. And I was just talking to my therapist uh, last week and she was saying, you just have to accept that you will mess up. But what distinguishes a bad leader from a good leader is how they respond um, when people call them out on their mistakes, when you realize you've messed up. And so, although I can't avoid being my dad, I can make different choices uh, when I realize I am being my dad. Um, so my dad is also great. I don't, I don't want to throw him completely under the bus. But I, I think it's, I, I've taken this as kind of a leadership and spiritual challenge for me to think about, okay, I've always wanted our church to be more justice-focused. So what am I doing? You know, how am I pushing and advancing that particular agenda um, through forefront collectively and not just solo? And that's the really hard part about leadership is like having a particular vision, but also realizing 10 different people may have 10 different opinions. And how do we kind of bring people together? Um, So, you know, I would say that's the spiritual growth. That's the professional growth I'm on as I think about what it means to walk on this narrow or hard road together. Yeah, that's awesome, Sarah. It's, it's interesting hearing you talk about it because, you know, we were onboarded at the same time, roughly within like weeks of each other. And I think back to before we joined the staff and I'm realizing now that I actually relate to, yeah, Sarah's story, but also Jonathan's story in this weird way. What? A Mexican woman relating to a white man? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) But like, you know, I mean, Jonathan was talking about um, receiving and like sending that back or, or, or spreading that what you've received out sharing that. And in a lot of ways, I was so comfortable being a congregant at Forefront because I was receiving, I was being taken care of in a lot of ways, and never questioning or articulating like what that was and now you being on volunteer and give a lot of your time instead of yeah, yeah. Of an active congregant. Uh, yeah. Okay. You're ruining my, my uh, comparison here. No, you're you're right, Sarah. I I definitely did volunteer a lot, but it was because I very immediately felt like I was um receiving a lot, but I never was able to as a congregant necessarily or never challenge myself to think about what that interaction, how, what, why it meant so much to me of what I was receiving as a congregant by attending Forefront. And now on staff, having to, like you're saying, Sarah, be responsible for it. Like now I have to be so intentional of thinking like, how can I give that same feeling to a newcomer that I got when I joined? So that was just something, uh, a new connection that I just made. Um, but specifically speaking to executive council, for me, it's totally a narrow gate moment in my life. You know, I want to do this well and I want to collaborate well and grow well. And that requires fighting so many inner demons and limiting beliefs and self-doubt that otherwise I wouldn't be thinking about. I wouldn't have to think about it because, you know, before being on the executive council, I could just, 
ah, I don't want to deal with this. Jonathan, can you figure it out? Or, oh, like, here's my list of to do's. I can check that off. But now I have to like really think about it. Um, and self-doubt surfaces. I mean, it surfaced this week for sure. And it wasn't pretty, but that's not all that happens um, for me right now in this, in this period of growth. And just sort of going back, looking back on when COVID first hit, I, in my life, I could have easily left New York because Broadway went dark and we still don't know when it's going to return. And I still don't know when I can pursue that career again. Um, and I still love it, but I also had this job when COVID hit. I was part-time, but I had this job and I was faced with this moment of realizing that my boundary or my limiting belief was that, oh, all I can ever do is theater. Like this is my only skill set, and it's the only dream that I've ever been passionate about ever in my life. I've always just wanted to pursue theater since I was like 12 years old. And just because that was true for a long time, that doesn't mean that it's still the only thing that I am passionate about. And I realized that God's been nurturing this new dream, this new passion in my heart that honestly, I didn't want to address, but like, I kind of feel like I have to. <laughs> and I, you know, I just laugh at God's timing of everything, but it's when my other career, literally, I can't pursue it, that I'm now able to, to really look at this new passion that I have for ministry. And it scares the crap out of me because I, like I said, I've only ever saw myself, I've only ever seen myself being passionate about theater. And now suddenly I'm just as passionate about ministry. And I'm like, what life am I living? Because, <laughs> you know, growing all, up, all, all pastors ask themselves that question. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, how did I get here? And, and like, especially me, um, maybe some of you can relate, Jonathan, you can't relate to this necessarily. But, you know, I brought this up to you when you first asked me to join the staff permanently of the limiting beliefs or doubts that I have of, well, I'm a woman or, well, I'm unmarried or I'm queer, I'm brown. Like I'm all of the things that I've never seen in a staff role or in a leadership role at a church. And it, the, the wide road or the way that things have always been done has been the opposite of me, has been white, married, older than me, straight, all of the things, um, usually men, but that's not what Forefront does. <laughs> we don't, we don't do that. We like to ask questions and do it differently. And, you know, my life was so changed by this community. And now I'm realizing that this is like the perfect time. I have the time, I have the heart and I have the energy to pour back into Forefront the way that I feel like it's poured into me and helped me find myself to get to this point and continue to pave that way for others. Um, so that's really exciting to me and I'm really stoked to dive in and I don't know what it's going to look like. And I don't know what the next step is. I don't have a formula because they didn't teach me how to do this in theater school. You know, <laughs> I had tap class. I didn't have seminary or whatever, you know, but I think that it's so cool to see us doing it differently. And so bringing it to like our council as a whole or our staff as a whole, I see us choosing this new leadership model as, I mean, we're already feeling it where the boundaries just start to go away and we suddenly don't have all of the clear answers. And it's really exciting because it's making 
all of us on staff, I mean, you can, you know, chime in or, or whatever, but I feel like it's making us on staff and our leadership team act with so much intention and it's so frustrating, <laughs> but it's good. It's, it's growing. It's, it helps us grow, I think. I think we need to just like, can we get a collective amen? And like in the, in the comments section, like, get, come on, give us an amen. Like Mac, that was tremendous. Thank you for telling that part of your story that like hits home for narrow road stuff for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really right. love that you shared it. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, and I think also, I just want to quickly add too, I'm just going to trust God in, in this and, and trust that, God would not have put this on our hearts because it would take, it took all of us to say yes to this and, and coming from our different angles, we had to say yes to doing this. And we went in knowing that we don't know <laughs> what this is going to do or what it's going to look like, but I'm just going to trust that God wouldn't have put that on our hearts if it wasn't meant to be examined or explored. And if anyone can do it, I really believe that forefront can. <laughs> it's true. We are as a church on a, unique journey that I think few churches are on in terms of sharing responsibility at the very top, um, kind of breaking the pastor as a sole messenger from God role. Um, and I, but I think all of us, whether forefront or not, are on this journey in some respect or another. You know, I'd encourage you all just to you know, close this out to just spend some time a bit reflecting. Do you feel like God or the Holy Spirit or what have you it's prompting you to take a certain risk, um, to walk a certain path that's less traveled, that you know will lead to life, you know will bear better fruit, but is going to be a little hard. It's going to be, it's less popular. There are less precedents, less manuals to follow for how to do it. Um, and just as you're in that process of reflection, just examine what fears are coming up, fears of letting go of power potentially, as Jonathan mentioned, fears of stepping into power, as Isaac kind of shared, fears of transitioning, um, as Mackenzie shared. Um, you know, each one of us is going to have a different fears. And I think I, I just pray that you will find the courage. I think all of us has found kind of a different moments for very different reasons. The courage to take that step of faith, take that risk. Um, and maybe that courage will come from yourself, from God, from people speaking into your lives. Um, but I, I pray that, you know, the path will be more, um, vigorous. It will require more full and total attention as Eugene Peterson said, but I think it will truly lead us to new and better life. So we pray for us, for each of us, you've heard, you know, share us, all of us share a little bit for our hearts to pray for our staff, our church, but more importantly, I think pray for all of us, um, as we kind of journey on this path together. I'll, I'll, I'll I guess I'll pray. Uh, Dear God, I am so thankful um, to be able to be in ministry and in, uh, to work side by side um, with Mackenzie and with Jonathan and with our staff with Angela and Robbie um, and Sean and our deacons and all the our members of the congregation. I pray that um, that your spirit will continue to sh expose to us what our deep fears are and help us to sit with them to not shut them down, to not repress them or push them down, but to sit with them and learn from them. And from there, take um, the next best step, even though we might not be sure where it leads, but we know this is the, maybe the next right step for us as we follow your spirit, your leading down um, this narrow path. In your name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. 
To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.